For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Bening and Sam Neill, and The Tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus, TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the semi-animated In the Know from Mike Judge and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Traitors. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. From Academy Award winner Stephen Zalian. This is what I do for a living. Top critics agree Netflix's Ripley is masterful, sumptuous, and suspenseful. He's a liar. It's his profession. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ripley is the finest thing TV has offered in many years. The Guardian gives it five stars and raves. Andrew Scott is absolutely spellbinding. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series, Ripley. I like the name. It is Thursday, August 31st. Happy Labor Day weekend. A perfect time to wrap up one of the weirdest summers at the box office that I can remember. Barbenheimer, of course, but it goes way beyond that. A bunch of supposedly surefire franchise blockbusters underperformed, as if the audience was saying enough already. And there were some out-of-nowhere smash hits, like Sound of Freedom, the child trafficking movie, which actually grossed more domestically than Mission Impossible 7 and Indiana Jones 5 at a single-digit fraction of the budget. At the beginning of the summer, we did a show setting out our confidence scale, how confident I was that movies would meet expectations given their budgets and talent and marketing. I whiffed on a few, notably Little Mermaid, but I was pretty confident in Barbie. Obviously, I never said it would become the biggest movie of the year, but I did give it an 8 out of 10 on the confidence scale. Regardless, we're going to hand out some awards today, the Summer Box Office Awards. And to do so, I've got a lovely co-host, Jeff Bach of Exhibitor Relations, the research firm. He's a box office analyst and tweets about this stuff a lot. So today, it's the Summer Box Office Awards, the highs, the lows, the dubious achievements of the season. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Jeff Bach of Exhibitor Relations. You are the senior box office analyst there, and you've got a lot to talk about for Summer Box Office. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Okay, so at the beginning of the summer, we went through the confidence scale and tried to predict how confident we were that these movies would exceed, meet, not exceed expectations. I don't want to rehash that what I'd rather do, and I think is more interesting and more fun, is to give some awards and dole out the accolades where they have been earned or not earned in some cases. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to give the categories of the awards, and then I'm going to say who I think the winner is of the award. And then you can chime in and offer your own. You can agree with me. You can say, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, the beauty of box office is everybody thinks they're an expert, and only guys like you actually are. So let's get right into it, okay? Sounds like a plan. All right, our first category here is Summer School Homecoming Queen. Who is the biggest winner of the summer, movie-wise? We'll get into who won the summer, people and entity-wise, later in the show. But I think we're looking at two movies here. We're looking at 
Arby and Oppenheimer, obviously, as the big winners of the summer. But you are looking at the data and the expectations and the, you know, your number number crunching. Which movie is the bigger winner? Is it Barbie at $1.35 billion on a $145 million budget? Is it Oppenheimer at 77... Sorry, is it Oppenheimer at $780 million and counting a three-hour biopic on a $100 million budget? Which is the biggest surprise, overperformer, winner? The numbers obviously say Barbie. But I think history will say Oppenheimer. I mean, we have a three-hour adult drama that is killing it in IMAX, just making gobs of money. 30% almost. Almost 30% of the domestic gross is IMAX. And international, one of the top five IMAX grossers of all time. This is a film, obviously, that was in high regard. This is Christopher Nolan. But to compete with these sequels day in and day out, in fact, the overall box office was down 7% versus 2022 before this Barbenheimer thing happened. And obviously, Barbie has been a huge success, but it's Oppenheimer that was the real surprise here that is now one of the top five films worldwide this summer. That is one of the top five films domestically. And guess what, Matt? This thing's going to keep going. It's getting into fall now. Oppenheimer's going to keep playing on these IMAX screens. It's going to play all the way to award season. So is Barbie. Uh, It's just incredible what Barbenheimer was able to accomplish. Yeah, I'm not sure about that because as impressive as Oppenheimer is, it is Chris Nolan, someone who has delivered big budget, you know, high grocers in the past. It, Yeah, three hours, biopic. Not a ton of action or explosions except for one. And that is surprising. But Barbie's going to close out at like $1.4 billion worldwide. You know, this is a movie that up until two or three weeks before the, the release, this was considered a two-quadrant movie. This was, you know, older and younger females. This turned into all audiences phenomenon. And to me that even though it's IP and even though it's a crowd pleasing comedy, to me, this is the biggest surprise of the year and probably the box office story of the year, even though the year's uh, only a little more than half over. So, all right, let's go to the second category, the oops, we killed the franchise award. We got two big contenders here, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny, which grossed 380 million worldwide on a 350 million dollar budget. Yikes. Kathy Kennedy, man. Budgets. Or The Flash, which grossed 268 million worldwide on a 250 million dollar budget. At least that's what they said. Which is the winner of the Oops I Killed the Franchise award? I'm going to have to go even though Indy obviously disappointed on many levels. The Flash was absolutely gone in a flash. Ezra Miller is donezo. The DC Shield was smashed this summer. I mean, the DC brand was obliterated by this film. And then not just this one, Shazam 2 and Blue Beetle. And now Blue Beetle, yeah, had the worst opening of any DC film outside the pandemic. So if James Gunn and the honchos at Warner Brothers wanted to kill off DC before they resurrected it, well, congratulations, you've done it. Well, they got one more. They got Aquaman (laughs) 2 still coming. Who knows what's going to happen with with Aquaman? Um, I mean, it could go either direction. Obviously, there's a lot less competition out there over the holiday season, so I still think that one could do okay. But this iteration of DC, even though, I mean, I would follow Keaton anywhere, but that's my era. 
you know, that that's the Batman that I love. Unfortunately, sure. audiences just didn't turn up for this in, in, in any way. Listen, domestically, it made less than Green Lantern. And that is not adjusted for inflation. I don't know how you can get around that. It did not yeah. make as much as Green Lantern did. Well, I think the star controversy, not not that anyone cared about the controversy, just that they weren't able to market Ezra Miller as the Flash. And I think that there was such bad will towards DC after Shazam and after Black Adam that it had an uphill battle. And then they had the David Zasloff thing where he called it the greatest comic book movie he'd ever seen. And the hype machine was in such overdrive, thanks to Warner Brothers, that when the film delivered and it was like, fine, it was better than average. It just didn't live up to the hype. And people were like, nope, not it's not even doing well on Max. The initial numbers on Max are not that strong, which is weird because it got so much press. But I think The Flash wins the Oops, We Killed the Franchise Award. All right, let's go to the other side of that, the Franchise Flex Award, the best exploitation of a franchise in a starring role. The contenders are Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which grossed $688 million worldwide, almost double the previous film, or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which got to $845 million worldwide, slightly less than Volume 2, but almost the same, and really kind of corrected the Marvel narrative, which has not been great after Ant-Man and some of the others. What do you pick for that one, the Franchise Flex Award? I gotta go with the web slinger on this one. Obviously, like you said, it grows double the amount of the previous one, and it held on. And the critics' attention was great. Like, oh, yeah. The people love these movies. Yeah, reviews were great, even though multiverse films may be played out as, as it was for The Flash, but it certainly wasn't for the Spider-Verse Lord and Miller showed they do know what they're doing. And honestly, this was such a crowd pleaser. You know, the legs on this, the legs on Elemental, animated films. I mean, you can go all the way back to Puss in Boots Part 2. The animated films just have these superior legs of all films. And, and at the time, before Barbenheimer dropped, Spider-Man was the story of the summer. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I mean, Marvel is Marvel, but I'm sure they will make these movies for the next decade. And, you know, Spider-Man has got, I would never bet against Spider-Man in any incarnation, live action, animated, virtual reality, toys, whatever it is, Spider-Man will always be popular. All right, next category, the Erectile Dysfunction Award for the most rapidly aging action franchise. Two contenders here, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, which grossed $552 million worldwide and only $168 million domestic on a $300 million plus budget, or Fast X, which grows $704 million worldwide, only $174 million domestic, and that budget was well over $300 million also. So what do, what do you say here? I'm gonna, I actually, I think the Fast franchise is rapidly losing steam. The Mission movie was at least good, and you know they have another one coming. I think it underperformed because it got just subsumed by the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon and it was too long and it didn't feel different enough from what Cruz has done in the past with these movies. But I still think there's room for more Mission Impossibles. I'm not so sure about fast movies at that price. I agree with you. I think obviously there's another Mission Impossible coming out next summer, but I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in here. I'm going to say it's a completely different film. I'm going to say it's trans Transformers Rise of the Beasts. This also had a $200 million budget. It only made $437 million worldwide. 
folks, that is less than Bumblebee. So we are talking about here the lowest grossing Transformers film ever, and it costs twice as much as Bumblebee did. Wait, but I but I thought your rule of thumb when you tweet these things is that if it gets to 400 million, it gets a sequel. And it probably will get a sequel. I'm not saying that it won't, but not so long ago. Let's remember these films in the Michael Bay heyday used to hit a billion dollars oh, for each yeah. installment, right? This is not Rise of the Beast. This is more like Retreat of the Beast. This is like Beast Mode deactivated here. Look, is if Peru is your third biggest international territory, you've got issues. No offense to the Peruvians out there. And their is taste. That true. Wow. Yeah, but it's true. And China had only grossed 89 million. So again, they just isn't doing the numbers overseas that we're used to seeing. Um, and that would make, I think, Paramount hesitate, honestly, about producing a $200 million eighth film in this franchise. Well, Skydance pays for a lot of these. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's diminishing returns. But if I had to bet, I think they will do a sequel. It's Transformers. They, you know, they will figure out how to bring the cost down. I thought this movie was actually pretty good, all things considered. I saw it with my kid and he was into it. So I don't know. I think there'll be another one. All right. That's a good one, though. All three of these films are going to see sequels. Like we know that, right? So even though they are diminishing, yeah, these films are going to keep going and Fast and Furious will go on for eternity. They need some Viagra, though. They need a, they need Absolutely. a, a, a Noom subscription or whatever that <laughs> is. Uh, all right. Next is the Wait What Award for Biggest Surprise of the Summer. The Wait What Award? My contenders are Little Mermaid, which I had pegged as being one of the biggest hits of the summer. I picked it first in my box office draft with Lucas Shaw. It grossed only $569 million worldwide, and only half of that was international, when typically these movies will do a lot more international. So that's the first contender. And the second one is the indie horror movie Talk to Me which surprisingly, I was shocked to read this, grossed $41 million domestic. I thought that, that was going to be a very tiny movie, and A24 got that to $41 million domestic. So what do you have for the Wait What Award for Biggest Surprise? Yeah, I think it's Little Mermaid. I'd peg that as one of the top three films of the summer. It did not turn out that way. Obviously, it had legs domestically, grossing $297 million. But even as we saw last week, they tried to release a sing-along version and nobody went and saw it. It was in 1,600 screens and it did just pitiful business. This is a long way from Beauty and the Beast, Alice in Wonderland, The Lion King. I mean, even Guy Ritchie's Aladdin made a billion dollars. All of those live action adaptations made a billion. So, you know, what do you do? You sequelize, right? Mufasa, The Lion King will roar next summer and probably get close to a billion dollars. So Disney's going to be fine. I know Snow White jury's out on the musical Snow White, but, uh, but what do you think happened here? Do you think, I mean, you've seen all the numbers and all the territories. Do you think this was the racist trolls who killed this movie overseas? Or do you think that the little mermaid property on the whole was just not as strong overseas as it was in the U S I think that's exactly it. I think the latter, I think that it just didn't connect. And it look, it's been 30 years since the original came out, over 30 years. Yeah, but all of these, Beauty and the Beast was the same. And, you know, it's just that I feel like Little Mermaid might have been a thing for millennial women that it wasn't in, you know, all territories overseas. And that could have been a problem. I, I did not anticipate that. And I know Disney did not anticipate that. But if it was a U.S.-centric franchise, maybe that hurt it. I don't know. You guys are crazy for not picking Sound of Freedom as oh. the Wait What Award. Okay, you know what? 
Craig, thank you. I, I have Sound of Freedom elsewhere, but I think it's got to come in here and, and take the Wait What Award. I would even say, you know, you make its own award. Like you said, we built a new studio award. I mean, that's a bigger award that's deserving. All right, so let's talk about Sound of Freedom. This thing got to 180 million domestic, still in theaters. The pay it forward strategy, we did a whole show on this. Um, very effective. It's still rolling out overseas, so it'll probably go higher than that. And they're going to have a streaming deal. But, I mean, this is a movie that cost, what was the cost on this? Like 10 million, 15 million? 15 million. And, you know, just a colossal home run. I mean, say what you will about why people were seeing it, the right wing stuff, the QAnon people loving it. But they did something right. I would honestly, it's up there with Barbie and Oppenheimer as the potential homecoming queen of the summer. Like, it is just such an out-of-nowhere smash. Absolutely. If we're talking about the top three stories of the summer, it's Barbie, Oppenheimer, and Sound of Freedom. I mean, this thing that Disney wants to We're calling it a thing. People like it. People <laughs> like it who see it. I have relatives who have seen it, and it's not a, you know, a fiction where these pay-it-forward seats were going unused. Some of that happened, but real people are seeing this movie and liking it. Yeah, they are. And I mean... It grossed more than Indiana Jones. It grossed more than Mission Impossible. It grossed more than Transformers domestically. Are you kidding me? And this was in Disney's back pocket when they bought Fox Studios, right? And they ended up selling it back to the filmmakers. So the fact that it grossed more than Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny domestically, ooh, that's got to hurt a little bit, Embarrassing. Right? <laughs> Embarrassing. Very embarrassing. I mean, it's one of the most successful indie independent flicks in history. And, and yeah. Jim Caviezel, obviously, touched by God because he was also in Passion of the Christ, one of the other most highest grossing independent flicks of all time. So I, I, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of sequels once they figure out how to do a sequel to this, uh, just like there will be for Passion of the Christ out here. Oh, I'm sure there'll be a hundred. But this is up there in the Hall of Fame of bungled movie sales. I mean, I'm thinking back to Slumdog Millionaire in 2008, where... Warner Brothers had the movie and didn't know what to do with it, sold it to Fox Searchlight. It grossed almost $400 million in one Best Picture. That That is, if, if Sound of Freedom gets a, a Best Picture Oscar nomination, maybe we're up there, but that's the all-time of yeah. what are we doing here. That is a great poll. That is a great poll. <laughs> Probably about the same. You just can't deny how powerful and how, honestly, there is a, obviously a big section of America that is underserved. And I think that this is an important lesson for studios to learn. Again, as they have to, it seems like every time a film like this comes out of nowhere and makes money. From Academy Award winner Steven Zalian. This is what I do for a living. Top critics agree Netflix's Ripley is masterful, sumptuous, and suspenseful. He's a liar. It's his profession. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ripley is the finest thing TV has offered in many years. The Guardian gives it five stars and raves Andrew Scott is absolutely spellbinding. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series, Ripley. I like the name. All right, let's go from that one to the low-key flop award. Movie that we already forgot about, but that lost a ton of money. I've got two candidates for this one, uh, possibly a third that you might want to add. One is Hypnotic, the Robert Rodriguez movie with Ben Affleck, which was sort of caught in 
studio bankruptcy, purgatory hell. And that movie cost $65 million and grossed $10 million worldwide. It had the insult added there where Ben Affleck went to his wife, Jennifer Lopez's movie premiere and did not promote his own movie around the same time. Uh, never liked to see that. So Hypnotic is one of them. Then there's another movie that I can't believe this title actually was released. It's called Landscape with Invisible Hand, based on a book. It had a $30 million, almost $30 million budget. It was released by MGM, and it grossed $200,000. Not great. I mean, it's a coin flip, honestly. We're talking about summer films. We got the good, the bad, and the butt ugly. This is the butt ugly portion of the show. Um, Hypnotic is just a, a misfire on all levels. The fact that it fell to a complete unknown catch-up entertainment to release this film, they couldn't even Well, get- the studio, <laughs> you know, Mark Gill's company went out of business and like, yeah, it was, it was a salvage job. But they couldn't even get Lionsgate to bite on this thing? I mean, come on. I know. They have a history with Robert Rodriguez, too. I don't exactly. know what happened there. So the fact that Ben Affleck was in a a film that looks like it was released in the 1990s probably just should have stayed on the shelf. All right. The silent one that we haven't talked about is the Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. That movie cost $70 million. And what did it gross? $40 million worldwide? Yeah, $40 million worldwide again. That's bad. DreamWorks Animation, that's bad. Yeah, this, again, it looks like it was released in the 1990s. What's going on with these films? You know, and they spent a lot on the marketing, even though they didn't even have it on the release schedule at the beginning of the year. You know what I say, when you do this, it's back to Sequelville, Shrek 5, Where Art Thou? Let's get back to it, DreamWorks. Yeah, Puss in Boots 5, I know. Actually, Puss in Boots was good. And that movie didn't open great and then ultimately made a lot of money. So it hasn't been all bad for DreamWorks. But Teenage Kraken, no more Kraken movies, please. Unrelease the Kraken. All right. (laughs) The next category is the, I guess we got to do another award for the movies that you didn't really realize were huge and are. And I'm going to take The Meg 2. The Meg 2 is still in theaters, but it's now at 355 million worldwide. Not as much as the first Meg, obviously, but, and that's only 74 million domestic. But I think they got to do another Meg, right? Obviously, Meg 3D is just sitting there, folks. It's just waiting (laughs) for it, right? It's got to happen, and China will make sure it happens, obviously, right? This is where this is performing best. It did well enough here, but, you know, TMNT, another one that's showing... Ninja Turtles. Yeah, Ninja Ninja Turtles Turtles is showing legs almost at 100 million domestic. Yeah, I guess we got to do another Ninja Turtles, too. I think they announced that. Yeah, we got to. Mutant Mayhem Part 2 is coming, and hopefully they'll bring back Vanilla Ice. Well, no, there's a, I've seen, I've seen Ninja Turtles. There is a teaser at the end for like Shredder or one of the others for some villain to come back. Um, I didn't quite know what it was, but my kid was into that. Um, I also had Transformers Rise of the Beast in the, I guess we got to do another award category. I think they will do another. It's just high enough to get another one. I don't make the rules, Matt, as you know, but 400 million is the magic number and it's at 437 million. So, yep, you got to make another one. Okay. So next category, the Are You Effing Kidding Me Award for the biggest disappointment among R-rated comedies this summer. I know there's lots of contenders. We have Strays that had a $45, $46 million budget and it has grossed $22 million worldwide, still in theaters, but don't expect much 
from that one. We had Joyride, which was much lower budget, but didn't do anything in theaters. We had The Blackening. Uh, then we had the Jennifer Lawrence movie, No Hard Feelings, which got to about 80 million worldwide. But I believe the budget on that one was like almost 40 million. So, you know, that's not great either. There was another one you said. There's another R-rated comedy that I did. The Machine. The Machine came out over Memorial Day. I don't even remember that one. (laughs) You're not alone. You are not alone. Yeah. Who is the star of that? Oh, Burt Kreischer, right? He's a comedian. Yeah. Exactly. That was made for Netflix, if anything ever was made for Netflix. I mean, all of these R-rated comedies are now made for Netflix, right? That's, I think, where we're going. The studios tried this summer, didn't work, and I just don't think they're going to try much longer, right? No, it, it didn't work at all. Where are the big heavy hitter R-rated comedy stars? You know what? They all have their own streaming deals. That's where they are. Where's Eddie Murphy? Where's Jim Carrey? You know, unfortunately, we don't have a star like that that can bring in audiences uh, for comedies, much less, you know, R-rated comedies. Uh, Strays is probably the big loser here. Will Ferrell, Jamie Foxx, those are big stars. This seemed like it was pretty ripe to lampoon, and it just didn't work. Yeah, they couldn't promote it. That was tough. Tough. They couldn't promote it. But absolutely, know, I, don't, I don't know that it would have worked otherwise, even if they could promote it. Um, all right. The Lionel Messi Award for Best Legs. Obviously, this has got to go to Elemental, right? I mean, open to 29 million. We all declared it a flop. Pixar's biggest flop ever. Lowest opening since the early days. And, you know, lo and behold, End of the summer, it's at 470 million worldwide. Two thirds of that is coming from international. What happened here? I mean, a lot of people were calling this the good dinosaur part two when it opened and Elemental had some serious legs. This thing went 12 rounds this summer. And that just doesn't happen. Why? Why do you think that? Because there wasn't other competition for kids? I mean, there weren't as many kids' movies? That, and it's a good movie. It's pretty good, but it's not It's not as... I mean, I've seen all the Pixar movies. It's not a crowd pleaser like some of them are. It's fun. It's well done. But when it didn't open, I wasn't that surprised. Sometimes the right film at the right time. An animated film in the summer, if you're not a teenage kraken, is going to hold on. Pixar is still the golden rule. Pixar still has a lot of mojo in terms of what the studio is, and the quality that they produce. And I think people gravitated towards that. Obviously, it did not do numbers like Inside Out did. This did $850 million worldwide. Yeah. Remember, Pixar's Up, that did $731 million worldwide. So those are original films in, in Pixar's heyday. Again, yeah, this is not going to break the bank. But no, I exactly. think it's, it's probably in profit at this point. $200 million, you know, you double that, and it's probably in profit now. Well, and plus, Disney has a way with this. Disney is also going to turn this into a D-plus series, I've already heard. Uh, and then there might even be an Elemental sequel. Obviously, next summer... No, it's, they're not... I don't think they're going to They, they might. Listen, they there is a Disney Plus series on the way, and Inside Out 2 is obviously coming next summer. You go back to the safety net for sequels, Pixar is going to be fine. This is a great ramping up of their grosses after that D-plus grade that they got for their streaming content. All right, so I guess it's time to anoint who won the summer. I have five potentials. Greta Gerwig, Jim Caviezel, the star of Sound of Freedom, IMAX, TikTok memes, or Q, who won the summer? Barbenheimer, 
$2.13 Well, that's either Greta Gerwig. No. Okay, but that's that's Greta Gerwig (laughs) or TikTok memes. I mean, the the fact that you can't open a summer movie now without it becoming a a meme on TikTok, I think is a big deal. And the lesson from the summer is that everyone is going to be trying desperately to create social phenomenons. And I know this was already happening, but Barbenheimer is the like apex exploitation of that strategy. And where everyone from now on is just going to try to do that. I can, I can almost hear Tom Cruise saying like, how do we become <laughs> big on TikTok for Mission Impossible 8? And the answer is probably you don't. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The, the, the TikTok phenomenon. And Megan really benefited from that as well earlier, earlier this, this year. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and Mario, a bunch of them. Yeah. Did great things on social media. Q, the QAnon people. For showing I mean, up. It's hard to tell. A lot of people I know went to this film that, you know, aren't really politically aligned at all. It was just know, it was something know, different. It was something different out there. It wasn't, I mean, red state, blue state, you can argue that all day long. But the fact is, when we saw what happened with Top Gun Maverick last summer, and it just became this phenomenon that really didn't reside on either side of the coasts, Sound of Freedom kind of positioned its way in there because of the lack of choices for certain audiences. And you can, again, we can talk about who those audiences are, but I think we all know who those audiences are. And no, it's a faith, it's a faith-based crowd. It's a middle America crowds, the people in the South that, that want these kinds of stories. And also like, honestly, the sound of freedom screening at the Grove was often sold out in LA. So I don't think we can just dismiss this as a middle America or faith-based phenomenon. It, crossed over. It is everywhere. I think the right answer is Greta Gerwig. She is going to get the boat the most bump out of this summer. She is now a $20 million director. She will get to do whatever she wants to do. She will make money on Barbie movies forever, um, whether she directs them or not. So I'm going to say Greta Gerwig won the summer. Yeah, she has the golden ticket now. Hopefully, she does get paid for Barbie 2 and 3. I, I say she <laughs> She's sticks She's getting around. paid on Barbie 1. She yeah. has points. She has points on this movie. Um, all right. If we're going to do who won the summer, we got to do Biggest Loser. Is it Ezra Miller? I mean, it's hard to say it isn't. Ezra had so much potential, so much upside in terms of their career. Yeah. And unfortunately, because of what happened and because of what got out there, it really killed this movie. Because it wasn't a bad movie. It just, unfortunately, undermined everything that the movie was about. Do you think it killed Ezra's career as a mainstream star? I don't think so. I think Ezra was really good in the movie and will work again, especially if the legal stuff is is resolved in, in their favor. I think Ezra was phenomenal, actually. Better than Keaton, to my surprise. Even though I went in not wanting to like Ezra, but I really liked Ezra. Okay. Uh, the thing is, though, even people that I discussed the Flash movie with, when they didn't see it, these are people that are not in the industry. They said the reason they didn't go see it was because of the Ezra headlines. These are no, people that, yes, that really, absolutely, that's, I don't think abs- so. No, absolutely. I'm up in Idaho, Idaho, and they're telling me about, I didn't go see this movie because I heard all this. This is a bad person. They did some oh, bad things. I don't I'm think regular you, people care about that stuff. I didn't either. But then look at the numbers. 108 million domestic. Are you kidding me for a film that's pretty good? No, it just I don't buy it. I think these headlines hurt it more than Warner Brothers will ever admit. No, this is superhero fatigue. That's why this movie failed. This is superhero fatigue. Oh, right. Craig's on his superhero fatigue hobby horse. 
Well, for DC, that's always been true. For DC, <laughs> I think the fact that they had had released a bunch of bad movies in a row did hurt the Flash with the brand. I also think that not having the star to promote it and you didn't really know who this person was as the Flash, like that didn't help. I don't know. There was sort of a confluence of events around this movie. But Ezra had a big chance to be a big star and did not get that this summer. Some other biggest losers, obviously already comedy. Krakens? Krakens, biggest loser? Krakens, Ben Affleck's. There's a lot of there's a lot of losers but out ben there. But Ben Affleck will survive. I mean, we, oh, we, will, we will forget this movie. We're all talking about air around award season anyways. So it's not like Ben Affleck is going to be hurt. I mean, it's really the people who put up the money for that movie who are really hurt. Uh, who else is the biggest loser? De-aging? I think we're good on de-aging for the time being. The Harrison Ford thing was like fine, but I don't know. I, I don't need to see any 70, 80-year-old actors de-age for a while. Also, something we haven't touched on is another big loser, um, RIP to the Haunted Mansion and Disney Ride films. I think we can safely say that the Haunted Mansion is just not doing any business. It cost $150 million. It made $62 million domestic, and it just bombed overseas. And uh, that's a big misfire for Disney. And even though I think they represent, Disney itself represents about 27% of the overall $4 billion box office this summer. They had a lot of misfires reaching, you know, $1.1 billion in Disney bucks this summer. And Haunted Mansion was one of them. It just not a great release date, obviously, and also caught up in the wave of Barbenheimer like everything else. And it just looked flat. It just, it's just like, what are we doing? Like, really? We're going to go see this again? You already made this movie 20 years ago? I don't know. Plus, Disney now is, for the first time, unless Marvel's or Wish really overperforms, Disney will not have the number one or number two movie for the first time since 2011. Uh, not counting 2020, but first time since 2011 that Disney will not have the number one or number two movie by the end of the year. It's probably going to be Barbie and Mario Brothers. Not great for them. Maybe Disney's the biggest loser of the summer. Yeah, and well, again. No, but Guardians and Elemental did okay. They just had some bombs. Yeah, and they're just, they're repping 27% more than any other studio of the box office, even though they probably spent more. All right, so who's your biggest loser of the summer? I'm going to have to say... I'm going to stick with Disney rides as, as the big Disney rides, Disney, Disney rides. ride adaptation. Yeah. So good luck. Disney rides getting more films made. <laughs> You're not looking for the Mr. Toad movie. You're not looking. I mean, I would love to see it. Obviously my, my daughter would have loved to see that many years ago. Mr. Toad's <laughs> wild ride. The movie, maybe, uh, maybe some, you know, Peter Pan, uh, the movie, the ride. Well, I would like to see no, that. That's already a movie. You got to yeah, go but, with one of the Disney originals, but Peter Pan, the ride, the movie different okay. than Peter Pan. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think Ezra Miller is the biggest loser of the summer, but that's where we're going to leave it. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Craig, you into the Equalizer franchise? I never saw the Equalizers, um, but Denzel is one of our last great action stars who can still carry a movie solo, so I respect them. Yeah, it's funny. I love Denzel also, but I have not seen any of the Equalizer movies. They do well. Yeah, they feel like dad movies in a good they way. They are. And, you know, Denzel's 68, and he's still doing the action thing, so God bless him. But this is an, a difficult one. Typically, Labor Day weekend is not a big movie-going weekend, although COVID has kind of shaken that up. Shang-Chi did very well on Labor Day weekend. And the other 
equalizers open to 35 million and 34 million on three days, you know, not a holiday weekend. And the tracking for equalizer three is at about 40 million for the four day. So it's tough. Is this movie going to perform like the others on a different weekend? Is the holiday going to help or hurt? I'm actually going to take the under on this one. Just a couple factors. First of all, Denzel isn't out there doing press because of the strike. He's He pre-booked some stuff, but he's not doing it because of the strike. And I think that will maybe hurt a little bit. Not much. I think people kind of know what this franchise is already, and they don't need to be told that it's a Denzel Washington action franchise directed by Antoine Fuqua. But I think it will hurt a little. And I just feel like it's a little fatigue out there. You know, we're kind of heading to the end of the summer. Sony also had Gran Turismo last weekend, so that could cannibalize a little bit. But I just don't, it doesn't feel it. I don't feel it for me. I'm going to go, I'm going to take the under on this one. I agree. I kind of have a, a theory that Barbenheimer scratched the movie going itch for people for a while and kind of checked the the average. That's the fans, opposite like of the momentum argument. Yeah, I know. I don't agree with the momentum argument. I think people scratch the itch and are like, all right, I did it. I went to Oppenheimer. I went to Barbie. I was in a crowded theater. I don't need to go back. I've done my civic duty. I don't need to do it again. Yeah, I checked that box. Yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, Denzel has his fans and these movies are pretty reliable performers. The last one got to about 200 million worldwide on a $62 million budget. So they're profitable. I'm sure he makes a ton of money doing them. He does not work for cheap. So we'll see. I'm not confident in this one. I'm going to take the under on 40 million, but uh, I would not be surprised if he delivers. Well, he can exact his revenge on you in Equalizer 4. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to get on his list. Uh, all right, that's the show. I want to thank my guest, Jeff Bach. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. I want to thank you. And we'll be back on Tuesday next week. No show Monday. We'll be back Tuesday.